We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Tennessee, and Virginia. WinBet is now live in all these states, and the excitement of Win Las Vegas has finally landed in online sports betting and casino play. For boosted parlays to live in-game offs on every major sport, WinBet gives you the tools to win. Sign up today for your risk-free $1,000 sports bet. Download the WinBet app now or visit winbet.com. That's W-H-N-N-Bet.com to start winning. Blue Wire. Welcome back. This is the Big Blue Banter, New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier. Joined as always my co-host Nick Colato. Coming to you a few hours late after day two of the 2022 NFL Draft. Nick had some work to do. I had some work to do. But we're here. We're rapping. And we're talking Giants football on day two of the Giants Draft. And Nick's over there. You can't see it, but I can. The little Fabio hairstyle going on over there. It's a nice Steady flow, even flow, as they would say from Pearl Jam. And I, I I haven't done it ever, I don't think, on this pod, but my Eddie Vedder impression is quite good and quite awesome. But one day maybe we'll get there. But, Nick, how are you doing tonight? It's obviously, I, I feel like, I don't want to say somber on Giants Twitter and among Giants fans, but I don't think the excitement is there from day two as it was on day one. Now, it's hard to surpass the excitement from day one because day one was that good. But day two, it was a little peculiar I, I would say I, I think the picks all three of them have elements of being a reach to it and we'll get into what I exactly mean by that we've talked in the past about not trying to outsmart the rest of the NFL right it's not like you go into this draft and you say oh I got a conviction I know this guy is better than the rest of these NFL GMs no we're taking him here we don't care about what these rest of you know what the rest of the NFL GMs think but you have to understand that a guy might be rated differently for different teams and the overall ranking that you might have on a guy, even me or Nick, like when we watch the film of players back to back and we study their stats and we study their tape and we study their athletic profile to try to make a projection to the next level, the competition they faced. And we come away with an overall ranking. We're not ranking that based on the system. And that's the most important thing here. Some guys are better fits for other systems than others right now. What the giants want to do is run a lot. And this is funny because Carl Banks actually reached out to me during the draft. He put it on Twitter, not DM, but he replied to me and he was like, I spoke with Shane and look, he had a good conversation with Cole Beasley when he was over there in Buffalo and it changed a lot of his thinking and they incorporated a lot more run and shoot into their offense. 
And that's what the Giants want to do. I think early on what they want to do here is minimize the time it's going to take, despite the fact that they drafted two linemen in their first three picks. It doesn't matter. It's still going to take time for this offensive line to gel, for this offensive line to come together. And I think they want to minimize the impact that the offensive line has on the offense's production overall, because in Jason Garrett's system, the offense was predicated on an offensive line contributing. They didn't they didn't have a bunch of playmakers and a bunch of quick hitting designs and screen based offense. And I think we're going to see now with both Kadarius Tony and Wandale Robinson on the field. And so I think when you look at these picks and the same could be said about the guard they took, because he's more athletic and he can move in space better than some of these other guys who me and Nick might have liked more. And there were a lot of guys who me and Nick liked more. There were a lot of receivers who I liked more than Wandale Robinson. But for what the Giants want to do schematically, these guys might have been there. These guys are not might have been. They obviously were their number one ranked players at the time. So we can call it a reach and sit here and call these picks reaches. And we can get the flat as well. But at the same time, I think when you consider the system and how these guys fit so many different systems differently, it's hard for me to sit here and say it's definite reach. Exactly. I mean, Brian Dable and Joe Shane know the philosophy of what the New York Giants want to employ on offense and, and defense so much more than you and I do, Dan. And I know the whole like in Joe Shane, we trust is going around Twitter. It's kind of cliche, kind of corny, but there are elements of truth to that. And in terms of Wandell Robinson, I put this out on Twitter. If you want to dive into this right now, I ended up having a second round grade on Wandell Robinson. And a reason why I didn't bring him up too much on this podcast was because I did not think the New York Giants would go in that direction. And I think I even mentioned maybe one or two podcasts, Dan, that he reminded me a little bit of Kadarius Tony. And then when I saw his measurements, he was like, you know, 5'8", five, 5'9", five, with literally historically bad wingspan and arm length. I probably would have knocked him down to more of a third round grade, but he is a very, very exciting player who actually wins contested catches and can climb the ladder. His route tree is pretty uh, rudimentary at this point, I, I would say, but there's a lot to get excited about when you employ an 11 personnel package with Wondell Robinson and Kandarius Tony, because it's, it's unique. Not a lot of NFL teams have those types of skill sets on the roster, to be honest, who are dangerous and can take screen pass to the house. The Bills are actually one of those teams who did have that kind of complimentary skill set at the receiver position. And look at what they were able to do on their offense. But I want to save that. We're going to get to our evaluation of Robinson because, look, it's not like I, I mean, look, I had a lot of players who were rated higher at the receiver position than Robinson for me. I'm looking for something different when it comes to wide receiver. I'm looking for the complete package. I'm looking for the George Pickens types who went after them. I want the X. I want. I want the I want the athletic profile as well. Like I am a little bit scared of taking a flyer from an outlier standpoint. Like Robinson can hit and I'm going to get into his film and I have to watch even more. But from what I've seen, he has really good tape and the Giants made note of that, even though he doesn't have an athletic profile that you want. But it makes him more of an outlier when he has historically bad wingspan, like you mentioned, and historically bad harm length. And then it shows up a little bit on the tape when he only really has 20th, 20th percentile hand size and he has seven drops and he's, you know, kind of in that like leading drop range last year among receivers. And we'll get into all this. I don't want to tip it off, but I do want to say when it comes to the Giants picks here and the idea that, you know, in Shane, we trust, or is he reaching? Are these picks kind of head scratchers? It's important to know here that when you're building out something and you have this idea in mind, you can't worry about, oh, I might've been able to get this guy 20 picks later. Because if there's one team that's building in a similar philosophical, a philosophical standpoint to you from a schematic standpoint, 
they could take them at any time. And you may not have another guy who you believe fits that specific position so well. And so I think that's important, too, when you frame, put, put into the framework all of these picks. We'll get into all that, Nick. But first, I want to start somewhere else before we get into it. I want to start with some of the day two concepts that the Giants had. Day one. We heard from Joe Shane. We heard him say we were not trading back unless two of those six players we coveted were not on the board at five or seven. He said he did have two fr a framework of two trades in place. One fell through, believe I believe, because Stingley was taken. The other was still on the board. They declined it, the Giants. They did not make that trade. Totally different concept heading into day two for Joe Shane. He said we had deals in place on day two to trade back before the draft even started. He said, we were confident. We knew we could move back. And he said, that was part of our plan. So I love this by the Giants. We talked all draft pre-draft process, Nick, about one, how important it was in this specific class for the Giants to move back because we thought there was a lot of depth in this class. Two, how we're believers that this team has a lot of roster holes to fill, one. And two, more importantly, and this touches a little bit on what we just discussed, Nick, they're implementing a new system on both sides of the ball. So in that sense, they really need a lot of picks because a lot of the guys they already have on the roster that they're inheriting, they may not see as a fit for their new systems. And that's a problem. And that leads you to need more players across the board at all positions. And so this was part of their plan. This is something they did. And then three, obviously, this goes back to something me and Nick will preach every year. We believe in trading back. We believe in having more draft picks. We believe in taking more dart throws, especially on dates two and three, when these picks become more of dart throws. That's what they are. They're gambles or risks a lot of these players are busting across the nfl most of these players are busting that we're going to take tomorrow and most of the players to be honest in round three especially if you're a giants fan since 2008 have busted so it's a risk it's a dart throw you're taking a chance so i love this nick i love that this was their plan they executed it and this was to me something that they want to do and something that they accomplished today so what we wanted them to do as well, we wanted more picks even on day three. And now they have, I think, 112 and 114 with Washington kind of sandwiched in between them to kind of kick off day three early in day three. They also have an extra fifth round pick, which is something that I really appreciate. And there are still guys on the board that you and I have discussed ad nauseum on this podcast that we do like potentially to be added to the New York Giants here. I actually, I'm curious, Odan, do you, do you think – the Giants were jumped for Andrew Booth by the Minnesota Vikings. Well, I was definitely going to get into that as we moved closer to the pick and got away from some of the concepts, but we can, we can pivot and go there now because they were asked when a quarterback went right before, was that someone on your radar? It seemed like a guy that fits your need. And Joe Shane, you know, to his credit, because this is something we never got with Jerry Reese. This is something we never got with Dave Gettleman. They were big on the old school, you know, they're old school GMs. They were big on, we won't, men we won't even talk about other players in a draft class. Every single time they were asked about a player the Giants didn't draft in a draft class, they said the same thing. We're not discussing a player who didn't come to this team. But Joe Shane discussed a lot of players who were not drafted by the Giants tonight. Andrew Booth was one of them, the Kobe Dean. He went into a lot of specifics on a lot of players, and yet last night as well, that they didn't end up drafting. And he said, yeah, Booth is a guy that we spent a lot of time on. He's a good football player. It was Minnesota that took him. But, yeah, we are happy with who we got in Wandale. So, to, to, you know, to answer your question, Nick, do I think they got jumped for Booth? It's possible. I just don't know because my thought process here is this. Besides Sky Moore, none of the receivers who were drafted after Wandell Robinson really at all profile like Wandell Robinson. So 
you know, if you view it from the sense that they wanted to sit up the type of player that Wandale Robinson is someone who can beat, and we'll get to this one when, when we get to what Cordell Flott said about Wandale Robinson. Cause I thought it was really in, uh, I thought it was really interesting and gave a lot of perspective on what the giants are trying to accomplish from a schematic standpoint, but the ability to kind of get the ball into his hands and have him win horizontally and also just have him be someone who's really hard to cover off the snap without press coverage. And so I don't know how many guys they felt like were in that class of the wide receiver position. And if they really wanted one of those guys, maybe they weren't jump for booth. Maybe the plan was all along to get Robinson. What do you, how do you feel on that? Do you think booth would have been the pick if the Vikings didn't trade up in front of them? I kind of do, to be honest. And there's another player in this draft that, isn't a one-for-one comparison to Wandell Robinson, but it's similar. And I would say that this player is probably a better athlete than Wandell Robinson, and he's still around, and that's Calvin Austin out of Memphis. So I'm not 100% certain what their interaction was with him. And I also feel like, and I know we said this a lot with the last regime too, Dan, but I feel like Joe Shane, and he's mentioned it several times, are looking for the right people. They're not just scouting football players. They also want to bring in the right person, and maybe Wandell Robinson fits that. I'm sure Calvin Austin probably does too, but they valued Robinson a little bit more despite the fact that he has zero percentile arm length. But I can understand why, man. I definitely can. You go through his tape, there's a lot of exciting film there. That's a really good point on Calvin Austin. I missed him. He's an even better fit for what Robinson is and does than Sky Moore, who I mentioned. I just kind of like Sky Moore overall as a player and a prospect. Again, though, maybe not for the system, maybe not for the scheme fit. The Giants want to be here, but you're right. Austin is, and it's really not just the, the you know, the zero percentile arm length and zero percentile uh, wingspan for for uh, for Rondell Robinson's profile. Overall, it's just not a good athletic profile. He had a 10-yard split in the 36th percentile. The only thing that stood out was a 76th percentile 40-yard time, which isn't amazing, but it's fine. 38th percentile vert jump, 32nd percentile broad jump, height, was what second percentile near the zero percentile, obviously five eight. We know that. Um, and weight in the six percentile, 178. This is this is a you know, they're banking on an outlier here from an athletic profile standpoint. They're banking on the film that they saw, and like you said, maybe big pack factor in that is the player that they met with and the belief that he has what it takes to kind of work on his craft and become an elite receiver because they're ta- you're taking a receiver at 44, you're not. You, you better not you better hope you're not taking a guy that's going to be as Isaiah McKenzie like he's been compared to Isaiah McKenzie whatever there was some discussion with Dable like I don't want to compare players but yeah I see a little bit in that in him no 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 you don't need a gadget player at 44 you need a wide receiver two at worst yes you need a wide receiver two at worst and when you look at the Giants receiving core right now there's a lot of these shorter type of receivers there's Kenny Galladay, obviously, Darius Slayton, I'm not sure how long he's going to be a New York Giant and if he'll even last to the season. And then you have these slot types in Kadarius, Tony, Sterling, Shepard, Wondell Robinson. And there is this sense that why do you go after Wondell Robinson when you already have Kadarius, Tony on your roster? Look, I'm not going to look too far into that. I think it's a solid point to make there in the second round. But as I said earlier, I ended up with a second round grade. So one thing that stood out to me with the, I, I mentioned the trade back. That was part of their plan. They executed it. It was important to them. Another thing is, and we're going to have to focus on this Knicks when it comes to, I'm sorry, Nick, I just called you Knicks for some reason. We're going to have to focus on this Nick when it comes to next year's draft class and our pre-draft process. But age is a factor for this regime. And it was a factor for the bills regime. The one that he came up with under Brandon Bean. So this is something I'm going to have my eye on moving forward. Now the average, the ages of the giants picks this year, a lot of young players. Thibodeau, 21 years old, 21.3. This is a, a credit of Giants fan in Charlotte, by the way. Thibodeau, 
Evan Neal, 21.69. Robinson, 21.31. Eduzu, 22.761. And is that how you pronounce it? Yeah, I believe so. Oh, I was nice. I nailed it on the first one. Aduzu, 22.61. He's the oldest player they drafted, by the way. Flot, 20 point, not even 21 years old, which I love. 20.68. Average age, 21 and a half years old. That's a big factor here. When we talked about guys like Jermaine Johnson at 24 and Bernard Ryman at 24, whatever it may be. This could be a big factor moving forward. It was a factor for them in Buffalo, and it was a factor for them in his first draft, Joe Shane. And I'm, you know, there's a lot of people who are believers in breakout age, a lot of people believers who are draft in drafting young players because they can still develop their bodies and they can still develop, you know, their personalities and their mindset as well. This is something that stands out to me. What about you? Yeah, it absolutely stands out to me. Now, with Thibodeau and Neil, you're going to go in that direction, whether they're 22 or 23, I believe at least. But this is now a trend right here and an average age of 21.5 when a lot of these guys in the draft are 22, 23 years old. I think that does stand out and it does make sense because there are a lot of smart people who believe in the breakout age theory, as you already alluded to. Yeah. And just to shout out once again, this was a uh, courtesy of giants fan and Charlie. You guys should all follow him on Twitter. I believe that's just his handle is NYG fan in CLT, which I always used to confuse for Connecticut for some odd reason. I think he used to only have CT in there, and that's why I confused. I don't think there was ever the L. I don't think I'd be that stupid to not understand that there's no L in a Connecticut abbreviation. So I'm standing by that. I feel like he put this L in later on in his Twitter life. Who knows? Um, and I believe his name's Rick, though we haven't ever formally introduced or met. But great, great digging there and great stat. And I thought that was a great point that he made and something I'm keeping an eye on couple other things I want to get to concept-wise before we get to Robinson and then all the other picks. Joe Shane said, no, we did not consider drafting a quarterback at all in round two. So, boy, was that Malik Willis stuff today, Smoke, because Malik Willis' odds went from last night plus 1,300 to be drafted by the Giants to today plus 350, and then it's finished at plus 250 with the Giants as the overwhelming favorite to draft Malik Willis. And then, poof. Joe Shane spits that all out, trades back twice, doesn't even consider him at either's pick, and then says, no, we did not consider a quarterback at all in the second round. Joe Shane probably goes on Twitter and, and sees, like, the dumb stuff that people like <laughs> us are talking about. Like, dude, these guys are just dumb. <laughs> oh, my God. I have such a good about. Joe Shane quote later for this podcast that just made my night and made my day, and I can't wait to go over it. But, yes, I think Joe Shane is a really really uh, smart guy. Just, like, just uh, wise. Smart's not the right word. Uh, like, quick i think he's a quick-witted guy yeah that's great too you you love someone who's quick-witted and good with those little uh sound bites i guess you can yeah. say yeah it doesn't seem like anybody in the nfl liked the quarterbacks man they just kept falling <laughs> on and i was like ah oh, man malik willis will come off the board eventually and no man it just didn't happen until the third round of the tennessee titans after they already took a couple different players so the new york giants sam house still on the board <laughs> we'll see if they go in that direction on um in round three, and I just got done watching a bunch of UNC film to study Yazudu, and I don't think I want Sam Howe. <laughs> <laughs> well, there was our, or that early rumor in the early on in the draft process the Giants are really interested in Howe, and they might be taking him at 36. I'm so happy that did not come to fruition. But we'll say this. It's not negligence on Shane's part because he did say, look, no, we didn't consider a quarterback in round two. It's not because they weren't considering quarterback. Shane said, we saw them all through. He says, I was at their pro day, or he said, we were at the pro days, and he said, I saw – Every quarterback play live this year. So he said, we did our homework. And I, and I trust him on that. I mean, he was at Malik Willis's two of his games. So I think they're taking the quarterback series, the class seriously. They've mentioned their their belief in how important quarterback two, two is. They signed Tyrod Taylor in an offseason. They didn't really have any cap space to work with. They brought in Davis Webb, a player they like. So 
from the past regime as well, by the way, from the Buffalo regime. So I still think they're putting effort and resources into building quarterback. I just think ultimately they didn't really come away liking anybody in this class. Yeah, and it seems like the entire NFL agrees with that. <laughs> yeah, that is it is pretty crazy, except for the Steelers who went Pickett in day one. But remember, uh, Matt Canada, their offensive coordinator, I think originally recruited Pickett to Pitt. So there's like a lot of connections there with Pitt, and he obviously played at Pitt. There's some connections there. I, I don't love that pick by the Steelers. But Everybody recruit Kenny Pickett. Matt Rule recruited yeah. him to Temple. Yeah. I mean, this guy got around. Well, he's like 26 years old. So yeah, it's been a while for Kenny Pickett. Not as bad as Brandon Whedon. <laughs> no, not as not as bad as Ben. Not as bad as Brandon. And weed and what was what was he when he got drafted by the Browns? How old was he? Twenty eight. Oh my god, that was a first round pick. Yeah, same. When year people say pick. Twitter GMs can do a better job than NFL GMs, sometimes they're not always wrong. You could have done anyone could have done a better job than drafting Brandon Whedon in round one at twenty eight years old. Anyone, literally anyone. So same draft as Trent Richardson too, dude. Oh my god. Yeah. And somehow they were able to spin that pick. For, for, so that was just crazy. They were able to trade him. What a wild draft that was. But let's get back into this draft. Um, so a couple other notes I want to get to before we get to the picks. Shane said on the James Bradbury front, I know a lot of people have been asking about that. He said, I did not receive any calls on him during the draft. So that's interesting, man. There's just a cold market there when it comes to Bradbury. I don't know what's going to happen there, but I think it could result in the cut. Yeah, which would be very unfortunate, but it doesn't seem like Many teams were all that interested, and I kind of want to go through teams that were interested, or at least they were rumored to be interested, see if they addressed the cornerback position. I believe the Chiefs drafted Trent McDuffie in the first round, so that kind of eliminates them. The Texans got Derek Stingley Jr. They were kind of in talks with the New York Giants reportedly, so it might end up being a cut if they don't restructure him, and that's going to be unfortunate because I'm not going to get anything for him. Yeah, the Chargers were a team early on in free agency I thought could fit, but then they signed. They made a big signing there at the corner positions. J.C. Jackson. Yeah, yeah, yep, uh, from from the Patriots. So it just feels like, like you said, it's going to come to a cut at this point. Another thing that's interesting, the Kobe Dean, the linebacker out of Georgia, originally was projected as a first-round pick. I bought that over at plus 30 and a half, at 30 and a half, which I'm happy about because that was easy money. But he fell all the way into the third round. And Joe Shane said, yes, there's a reason he's dropping, which again, is crazy. Remember the old Gettleman, Jerry Reese days, not a word, not a peep on a prospect that wasn't drafted by the giants. They'd say, I'm saying nothing. I got nothing for you. He says, I don't know what's all out there right now, what you guys have, but we can't really talk much about that. But yeah, there's a reason he's fallen. I think, And you know, he's a great kid. He's had a great career and I'm sure he'll go shortly, shortly. And then within moments of after Joe Shane saying that the Eagles took him in round three, I gotta be honest with you, Nick, I'm on team Eagles here. I think they got a steal. I wasn't a huge fan of Dean at 36. I was open to Dean the next round. I thought it was going to be value. I don't love this projection to the next level, but at 75, like wherever the Eagles got him deep into the third round, that's a great pick because he's actually someone who could be an immediate contributor for them. And these picks in the middle, like these Cordell Flott types, like they could easily bust out. Look at all of the Giants third round picks since 2008. So you know, there's a reason why the Giants didn't draft him. They believe in dependability. They don't want to take these injured guys. Shane said it on day one. He's like, I'm, or he set up in this pre-draft presser. He's like, I don't care if we pass on a guy with injury concerns and he becomes a star somewhere else. He says, I don't care. And that's clearly the case with Kobe Dean. They don't believe in his injury profile. And I just feel like when you get to this stage of the draft, and we'll see this tomorrow with guys like Damone Clark, the linebacker at LSU, and Justin Ross, the receiver out of Clemson, two guys I want the Giants to consider drafting. I don't think they'll draft him for this reason, for this exact reason, the Kobe Dean thing and how this played out. But 
I think there's value in the teams that like the Eagles who take this swing. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Pick 83, Nicobe Dean fell to, which is insane. That dude was being mocked in the top 10 not too long ago, to be honest, during the beginning of this process, which was ridiculous. And I can see definitely just off the film, too, why he fell out of the first round, the measurables, the length. Then you add the medicals into it. Yes, a fall is inevitable. But the Giants were sitting there at 81, and now they're going to have to face Nicobe Dean twice a year when yeah. he does get healthy. And I could see us possibly regretting that facts. I do believe Dean is a good in the box linebacker specifically when he can pin his ears back and pressure. He's versatile enough and fluid enough to drop into coverage. Hopefully Cordell Flott hits and then we don't have to really worry about that. And you know what? Flott has some upside too. We'll get into that in a little bit. Yeah, I liked Flott a lot and we'll we'll talk a little <laughs> bit about that for sure. Um though I did like him as a day three pick. <laughs> to be to be completely honest, I thought he would fall to day three. I'm still not convinced he wouldn't if the Giants didn't take him, but I can't like a guy as a day three pick a lot and then not like him if they take him at the end of round three. Like that doesn't make any sense. It's it's a matter of 20, 30 picks. It's not enough of a difference for me to not like a pick. I want to talk a little bit about Brian Dayball, who made mention of having Tony and Wandale in his offense. And then made mention of all his weapons, forgot to mention Darius Slayton, and then kind of like awkwardly jammed in Slayton at the end. Did you make anything of that? <laughs> Yeah, it was just a little bit awkward there. And there's been a lot of rumors from people on the beat who are a little bit more plugged in than I am, suggesting that he's a real cap casualty, possibly. And I think they could save $2.5 million on the cap. Don't quote me on that. And it makes sense. This is not their guy. And this is also somebody who has steadily declined since he came into the NFL. Had that great 2019 rookie season, but since then, he hasn't really done much. And the rapport that he established with Daniel Jones doesn't seem to be there anymore. If you bring in a new offense, new offensive coordinator, it makes sense to let him go, even though he's going to walk next year, if you can save a buck and then get some of these younger guys some snaps who are going to be used within this offense for years to come. Yeah, I can't remember it now, but I still think of that route he ran late in the season where he snapped off at the top of it and really created a ton of separation. I don't know, man. A part of me does still believe that a big reason Darius Slayton has fallen off is because the quarterback play and overall passing game has fallen off so, so disastrously over these last two years. I don't know. I think a lot of receiver play is quarterback play fault. Yeah, I don't think you're wrong there, but I'm also looking at it from what they're seeing, Brian Dable and Joe Shane and just the new regime. You know, we mentioned this before, all these new general men, they always want to get their guy. They want to make the team their, get their players, unless you're their top picks with high pedigree, which Darius Slayton wasn't. Yeah, for sure. And again, not only want to get their guy, they want to get guys that fit their scheme and Darius Slayton. 
doesn't seem like the best fit just based on how they describe what they're trying to do tonight and obviously the decision to draft Wando Robinson and what that means for their thoughts and their projections schematically here. Um, one final thing to go over conceptually before I want to get into the picks. Brian Dable, so let's first pre- uh, press a, preface it by saying this. The Giants didn't take a tight end tonight. They had three picks. They didn't take a tight end. A lot of people thought they would take a day two tight end at some point. They didn't. Maybe they'll go one on day three. There's still a lot of guys I like that we'll get to. Charlie Kohler, Jake Ferguson, Kate Odden. But they didn't go in yet. And Brian Dable said, look, there were games last year where we went into the game, when we went into the game with just one active tight end. Not, 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 he's not even saying we were running like, 11 personnel the whole time or 10 personnel with four receivers. He said we legitimately had one active tight end. He's like, I think probably the last five or six weeks of the season, this was the case. So that was like an eye-opening thing for me. Like just shows, because I didn't I didn't study it hard enough, I guess, his time with the Bills to know that that was even a thing where they just had this one active tight end five or six weeks straight. <laughs> and I know injuries played a role in that, but I think that the, the point of that, or at least what he's trying to get at is, look, I'm not necessarily sure we need tight ends to make this offense run. Yeah, and that kind of goes to suggest that it's going to be much more of a Brian Dable, which is not a surprise. Brian Dable led offense more of his philosophy than maybe what Mike Kafka was going to bring over from Kansas City because they didn't run a lot of 12 personnel, but they had some 12 personnel packages. When you have Travis Kelsey out there, it makes it a little bit easy because he's such a mismatch as a receiver anyways. You know, you look at this, Jeremy Rucker just went off the board. You had Trey McBride go before Greg Dolchik. I wouldn't be shocked if they don't go tight end with that statement and the fact that they have two veteran guys that they probably like. I mean, Andy Bischoff, the tight ends coach, has coached Jordan Akins before last year with the Houston Texans. And then Ricky Seals-Jones, and he's not the best blocker. He's solid, acrobatic, I guess, receiving weapon at times, but not really moving the needle. doesn't seem like there's going to be a lot of 12 personnel here, which – could be music to some giant fans' ears because there was a my lot ears, of my ears, baby, music to my ears. I'm anti twelve. I'm pro eleven. I'm pro eleven. I'm pro ten. Get those crappy tight ends off the field. It's gonna be speed, man. They're gonna, they're gonna yep. spread the formations out. Spread. It's gonna be a lot different, dude. A lot different. So different. It's gonna be so much speed. So much pre-snap motion. So much jet sweep. So much get the ball in people's hands quick. So much, you know run out of out of uh light run into light boxes because you don't have tight ends on the field if you don't have good tight ends in this league don't even put them on the field as far as i'm concerned very very rare unless you have the guy look i want good tight ends then i'll put them on the field but if they don't have them they don't have them and you, you mentioned rucker i was so pissed when he went off the board those comp picks and i just killed this the freaking comp picks in the nfl are so annoying it's like in a slew of like 10 to 12 extra picks you got to log your you got to slug your way through at the end of round three and just hope that these guys you like don't come off the board then boom rucker boom leo chanel boom channing tyndall boom nick cross and right before that was kirby joseph or, or one after the other it's like god damn it man all the safeties and linebackers who were dropping in this class who i really liked and then one of the tight ends and rucker all off the freaking board and that's exactly what the giants need on day three a safety a tight end and a linebacker and it's just like jesus christ it was it just annoyed me yeah, it annoyed me too. And we'll get into some of these picks. I'm wondering if they're going to use Cordell Flott at safety too, something he kind of Ooh. did a little bit at LSU. Because, dude, you look at the safety room right now. You have Xavier McKinney and Julian Love, and then Jerron Williams, maybe, and then what, Brian Lewerke? <laughs> like, literally. <laughs> what are we Brian Lewerke pulling the uh, Danner McAvoy from when he went from New Jersey. Uh, where did he play? Don Bosco to, to Wisconsin, then converted from quarterback to safety. It's, it's, we call the Taylor, We call that the Tanner McAvoy. 
the Tanner McAvoy. Oh, I like it. It's yeah, a but- throwback, and I think some New Jersey natives will will get that. And obviously, if any Wisconsin fans listen to the podcast, they will as well. It was a sad day for me as a Wisconsin fan watching Leo Chanel fall all the way that far into the draft. And I just feel like time will tell. But he, now he goes to Steve Spagnolo, and that's a sp- system that I like him in. I, I'd rather him in a three four. I'd rather him with Wink, but I do like him with Steve Spagnolo there because that Spags is going to just utilize him downhill. And you know they're, they're going to play on so many primetime games. Yeah. And he might not have like a full-time role because they've been drafting linebackers over the last several years. They have Willie Gay there. They drafted Nick Bolton out of Missouri last year. Right. But it's going to be third down. It's going to be third and four, game on the line, primetime game. You know, Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen going back and forth. Leo Chanel is going to sack Josh Allen. Everyone's going to be like, oh, Leo Chanel. We're going to be like, oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> I, I can already envision it happening. And I feel like he really might have been the pick in round four. I'm sure I'm just convincing myself on something that may never be been the case. But I think the Giants were going to be interested in linebacker, tight end, and safety on day four, especially if these awesome guys – that kept falling, fell a few more picks of them. They have two picks at the top of this third day tomorrow, starting at noon. And it's just like, damn, they were so close to getting a chance at these guys, but is what it is. All right, let's get into the picks here. First pick after trading back twice, Wandell Robinson, the wide receiver out of Kentucky. Shane said this. Well, Shane told us in the pre-draft, he believes in threshold measurements, but clearly he'll make exceptions. And he said he would make exceptions. Well, guess what, Nick? Wandell Robinson is an exception. We said it once. We'll say it again. Zero percentile wingspan, zero percentile arm length, historically bad there. Height five foot eight, weight 178 pounds. That's second and sixth percentile, respectively. Vertical jump bad, broad jump bad, 10 yard split bad. So this is a this is somebody who they love the film on. And obviously the athletic profile and the threshold measurements weren't there, but they made an exception on him. So Let's get into him before we get into some of the comments that both Shane made and he made that were interesting. I want to get into some of the quotes, but I want to first get into your evaluation of Robinson. But before I say we do that, actually, Nick, I do want to say everybody can listen back to our wide receiver preview. preview. I said Wondell Robinson was one of my sleepers. I named him as one of my sleepers because, look, and I haven't seen too much yet, so I want to get back to it because wide receiver is the most fun position to, to watch on tape. And I plan to do that probably starting Sunday, maybe Saturday night. That's my plan with Robinson. I'm really excited to get into that. But when I tried to watch Will Levis after the, all that Will Levis hype came up, because look, you give me a quarterback, I'm going to watch him. You tell me a quarterback might be a top 10 pick, I'm going to watch him. Anthony Richardson out of Florida, I got my eye on that dude, Nick. I am pretty, pretty interested in him potentially being a Giants quarterback. Same goes for Levis. I'm less interested in Levis, but I did watch Levis. I watched two full games on film. And like I said at the time of the Wide Receiver Sleeper podcast, the guy who kept jumping out every play, of those games I watched was Wandale Robinson and watching the Levis tape actually made me more interested in Robinson. I was like, who is this dude who keeps standing out? And it was Robinson. So I can get behind this pick knowing the giants have a vision for him. What are your thoughts from watching some Robinson tape? So first let's set the background of Robinson. He was a four-star recruit who ended up going to Nebraska, followed Scott Frost there and just didn't really do much at the university of Nebraska transferred to Kentucky in 2021 where he was targeted 140 times, had 104 catches for 1,342 yards with seven touchdowns. And, dude, if you watch the bowl game against Iowa, that final drive, like Joe Shane must have watched that and been like, dude, this guy is gritty. He's tough. He's getting destroyed over the middle of the field, laying just back on the turf 
looks like he's knocked out, comes back in two plays later, gets another big screen played for a first down, and then hits this huge play to get him down to the one-yard line and helps Kentucky defeat the Iowa Hawkeyes in that bowl game. And that was really a big product of Juan Bell Robinson. I got to be honest, I gave him his grade based off his film. I think I probably would have dinged him pretty significantly, maybe down to like an early third round grade rather than a second round grade because of the really, really bad height and then the really, really bad arm length. Because Wandale Robinson was listed at like 5'11", I believe, according to the team's website. But my synopsis of him was, overall, Wandale Robinson is an explosive slot option who can help in the run game as a ball carrier and as an extension of the run game on design touches. Robinson also is a deep threat with good separation skills. He had a knack for getting behind defenses and creating explosive plays on deep passing concepts. He was tracked down a few times after having a quote unquote lead. He's not the biggest and he could be a bit better in contested catch situations, but he still has room to grow since his route running was more of a product of his unique athletic ability. Robinson has high upside as a wide receiver and he can immediately add juice to an NFL room. I also think it's interesting that he thrived in Liam Cohen's offense. Liam Cohen is a disciple of Sean McVay, who was the offensive coordinator for Kentucky last year, but now Liam Cohen is back and I believe he's the offensive coordinator who took over for Kevin O'Connell under Sean McVay. And it's kind of when you watch Kentucky, when you watch Will Levis, you saw a lot of those kind of Los Angeles Rams concepts. And I think Joe Shane and well, more so Brian Dable can use those concepts within this offense. And Wondell Robinson and Kadarius Tony will both fit into that scheme pretty well. So I think he's an electric, dynamic kind of playmaker in space. He took plenty of screens to the house, making a lot of guys miss in a phone booth. And I think he's one of those lightning rods that you want on your team, but he's definitely a little bit deficient on some of the things I brought up before. And he has a limited route tree. Yeah. And you mentioned it. That's really interesting. And this is something Peter Schrager uh, tweeted out. He said, Liam Cohen, the new Rams OC, who was Wandell's coach at Kentucky. And he said he texted or he was Victor Cruz's college roommate. That's Liam Cohen. He texted me this. He said, Schrager said he texted me this last week. Wando Robinson was Mr. Everything for us. In crunch time, think of, think of the bowl game versus Iowa. He had four catches and 86 yards on the final drive. He is a true gamer. And that's basically everything you just said, Nick. And on that final play, the one that was the most impressive to me, the deep crosser he ran that got them to the one-yard line, that juke he had to, to create that extra 20 yards that he had after the catch, after getting to the point where he has no room. There's no angle. He's at the line of He's at the uh, boundary near the sideline and he just puts that juke step on that juke move on and he just freezes the defender and goes back inside and creates that extra yardage and you know it reminded me a lot of the big time moment that you know apparently sold dave gettleman that dave Bar uh, that saquon barkley needed to be the number two of a pick but uh, gettleman always talked about it it was that film against iowa the same team where barkley was caught on the sideline and took us and made a similar type of juke to create space and get back inside on the football field and, and when he's essentially dead to rights. And that's basically where Wondell Robinson was on that play. He was dead to rights and found a way to create more space and get back inside, which I think is awesome. And you know what, Nick, I talked to Josh Edwards who works for us at CBS sports. He's one of our draft analysts and he watches a ton of tape. And he also used to cover Kentucky for 24 seven sports. And I said, look, Josh, give me a two line or give me a one line uh, synopsis of what we're getting out of, Juan L. Robinson, and he says he's electric after the catch. He's got better than expected footwork. He can make an impact at all three levels of the defense, including the vertical level. He has great strength relative to his size and toughness, and he's undersized with short arms that will require a really accurate quarterback at the NFL level. 
So that's his take on on Wanda Robinson. Anything you see there that you agree with, disagree with, or stands out? No, I think I agree with a lot of it. And it was another point I wanted to make because he does have he did have a limited route tree, ran a lot of hitches, a lot of screens, a lot of stuff like that. But when he was tasked to run double moves, he ran them very well. He had this play against Vanderbilt where he aligned on the hash as the number two wide receiver in the slot in a two by one set with the H back to the boundary. So he was to the field side and he ran a slow go route, a slant and go route. And that got the safety. He sold the slant so well that the safety bit down on it. And then he exploded off that inside foot and then went vertical. And the throw was pretty bad. It was behind him. And he had to turn his body, showing really impressive body control, locate the football, and then kind of make this diving catch. And he did that, which was really impressive. And I also put this play up earlier in the Iowa game, not on that final drive. That was also pretty just I would say a nuanced route. It was also part of Liam Cohen's design because it was a pump fake by Levis, but he's the number two receiver in the slot and he's aligned over whoever that overhang defender is. And he angles his stem inward. Like he's going to run a slant or a cross or something like that. And then he kind of slows his tempo down to kind of get right up into the chest of this apex defender before exploding vertical up the seam. And the reason he slowed his tempo down, he tempoed that route was because it was a middle of the field open defense. So you have two deep half safeties and he wanted to slow down to get those safeties to expand and widen. That's going to open the middle of the field. And Robinson had the confidence that he was going to beat that overhang defender with his acceleration and his burst. So he did a great job recognizing the coverage, seeing it pre to post snap, tempoing his route, and then exploding into space to catch a 34 yard dart from Will Levis. And that is a just a lot of things are clicking in your mind to see the defense do that pre to post snap. And then you have to execute it and you have the control and the wherewithal to do so. And I felt like that was an interesting play. I put that up on Twitter a little bit ago as well. So if you want to go see it, go check it out. But there are elements of his game that show advanced route run. It's just not something that he was asked to do all that often. And that's something, you know, when you say it, when you break it down like that, Nick, it just reminds me a lot of Darius Tony last year, right? We came into it like he's not an advanced route runner. He's going to have to learn all this stuff. We don't see. And then when we saw when you saw him run routes at the NFL level, like, oh, my God, did you see that route he ran against Trayvon Diggs? That's an advanced level route. And so sometimes it comes down to the traits and their ability to do it. And I know he doesn't have necessarily the best athletic profile from a testing standpoint. But obviously, that's not the case on film. The Giants believe that. You believe that. I believe that from what I've seen. He's legitimately very human joystick-like, like Tony. He is one of those guys that you can't touch if he's in a phone booth, right? Like, you get him the ball, and he's hard to get down. He's hard to tackle. He's hard. It doesn't matter if you feel like you have the angle on him. You don't. And that's and that. And we'll get to this when we talk about what Cordell Flott said about him, which I thought was really, again, eye-opening. But it goes to not only what he can do once he gets the ball in the space, but how that skill set and how those traits help him when it comes to creating separation before, you know, before the catch, which I think is really important from a player like him, especially with how they're going to use him. And I thought one other thing that stood out on tape, and you mentioned it here when he caught that dart after, you know, 34 yards, and, and you mentioned it also when it came to that Iowa drive that you broke down so well, Nick. He's much tougher and stronger than 178 pounds would suggest. He really is. Oh, 100%, dude. He takes shots over the middle of the field. And I also think he's very, very 
balanced in terms of his ability to adjust his body when the ball is in the air. And he does this and he jumps up in the air. He locates the football, concentrates on it, catches, and then just takes these absolutely huge shots, which probably look worse than they actually are because he is 178 pounds. But it goes to what Joe Shane said too, Dan. They want tough players. They want dependable players. And Wanda Robinson fits that bill. Yeah, he's tough. He's defendable. He played uh, no matter what, even though taking those hits. And that's not something you can test, right? We talked about the 38th percentile vertical jump and the 30-whatever percentile broad. It's not great. It's not great vertical jumping. It's not great leaping. It's not great for his leaping projection. It's not great for his explosiveness. But one thing that those measurements and those drills don't test is a player's ability to adjust in the air and to take a hit, knowing the hit's coming, and still hold on to the football. That's never going to be tested at a combine or at a pro day. No one's ever going to get that. You have to watch the tape and you have to see if they're able to do it. And I think he has that ability, Nick, and that excites me for sure. And look, he was productive. I know a lot of it was scheme production, right? He had 35 receptions in 2021 on screen plays alone. He had the third most screen catches in the entire nation. And he had the fourth most just pure screen yards in the entire nation. That's scheme production. That's not exactly, you know, what you, you know, you can, you can, some people knock that. Some people take that away from him. I don't know. 268 screen yards when he catches, when he has 1,342 yards total. I don't know how much I'm taking that away from him, right? That's still not a huge chunk of the pie there. But when you rack up 1,342 yards, 12.9 yards per catch, seven touchdowns, it's a good sign. And he finished sixth in the nation with 22 force missed tackles. He finished sixth in the nation. This is the interesting thing. With 16 deep catches, I thought that, Nick, was incredibly interesting about his profile coming into the Giants. And that was also 553 deep yards, 12th most in the nation. But 16 catches that travel 20-plus yards in the air. And this is according to Pro Football Focus, by the way. All these advanced stats are from Pro Football Focus. And what was really interesting about that to me was his 16 deep receptions in 2021 were in comparison to just seven total in his first two seasons. Now, like you said, completely different offense that came in in Kentucky. They had an actual quarterback who can throw down the field and Will Levis, but it's a big jump in that production. And it shows that he has the ability to win vertically, despite again, not being the best leaper and not exactly being the fastest player on the field. He did run a solid four, four, uh, four 40 yard dash in the 74 percentile, but it wasn't anything super, uh, you know, super exceptional. Yeah, he's tracked down a decent amount on film, too, which is something that is a a little annoying. But, dude, watch some of the screen passes that he has caught and that he basically took to the house or almost took to the house. One against New Mexico that went for, like, 80 yards. There was also one, I believe, against Florida that went for, like, 50 yards. And he's just making dudes miss and making them look silly, similar to Kadarius Tony. I think it's safe to say, Dan, that Kadarius Tony is still a little bit more rare and unique with his change of direction ability than Wondell Robinson, but it's still an excellent trait that Robinson possesses. So I think they are both similar. There's obviously going to be differences, and I am really curious to see how they're both utilized. I like the pick. I would say that I like other players that were available at the time, but I'm not going to sit here and throw a fit about the pick either. Like I loved Jaquan Brisker. I loved a lot of these guys. I like Sky Moore. I liked Alec Pierce. I liked... Tyquan Thornton, but maybe not as much as that. And the Patriots, I just kind of wanted to give him a shout out for you. You had David Ajabo, John Mechie still on the board. But at the end of it, George Pickens. And I don't know if there's character concerns there that there's whispers about. But Wando Robinson fits what they want. And I I can understand why. It it does seem a little bit redundant in in a way, but I'm interested to see how both of their skill sets, him and Kadarius Tony, are utilized in 2022. 
and a few other things on Robinson. Well, we talked a lot about, you know, there were some issues with his athletic profile not being great. He did test well in some regards. He had he had 89th percentile bench press at 19 with 19 bench press reps. That kind of goes to what we were talking about before. He's stronger than people realize, which will help him at the next level. And he's tougher. He also had an 81st percentile 413 20-yard shuttle, which I think is important too. It shows kind of that that burst and that quickness. A little bit different than his 10-yard split, which wasn't great. The 20-yard shuttle was pretty good. So I feel like that's going to help him too at the next level, hopefully, as far as just like projecting the athletic traits and how they translate to the NFL level. I want to get into some things that were said um, about the pick. So I want to first start by uh, something Joe Shane said. He said they asked him if he has too similar of a skill set to Kadarius Tony. He said it and Shane said, is that a bad thing? Because look. You guys saw Kadarius Tony. I'll take as many of those guys as we can on the field at once. Shane said, again, he's a generator when the ball's in his hands. He can run after the catch. He can separate from defensive backs, and he gets open. He played some running back in Nebraska. That's a versatile piece that you can use in your offense. If you look at some of the other guys, how you can use them, and if you look at Dable's pass, or if you look at Kafka's pass in terms of the creativeness in their offense and the, how they utilize the weapons, I think you can kind of see – what the vision may look like for us on offense. Yeah, and that makes a lot of sense, right? We were just kind of talking about how there is somewhat of a redundant skill set, but he brings up an excellent point about Kadarius Tony. I mean, you take as many of those guys as you can, those guys with elite playmaking ability when the football is in their hands. The Giants offense is going to have a philosophy that's more built around get the football out of Daniel Jones's hands on these a lot of design type of touches to playmakers like Wondell Robinson and Kadarius Tony. the more the merrier. Yeah, without a doubt. And I thought it was really interesting that they had the, if you I don't know if you saw this, Nick, but they 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 called him up after the pick, Wando Robinson, and they and both Shane and Dable were like, and Dave's were like, Look, we have we talked you remember what we talked about in the Zoom? We got a vision for you. To me, it seems like they have a plan for him in week one. Like right away for week one, there's gonna be some snaps for him. Maybe that's some on special teams, right? Maybe that's some you know, maybe that's only 10 to 15 offensive snaps at first, but this wasn't the case for Tony, right? Tony, it took some weeks to get him going the offense. And we've seen receivers in the past. It takes time. There's not really a plan. It's like, ah, we draft this guy because we think he can ultimately be an alpha or an X or like he can be the Z for us, whatever it may be. I think immediately they have a plan for him that's independent of like, you're going to play this position for us. They have just a role for him. Like they have a belief in what they want to do schematically on offense and a role that he can play right away in week one. That's not going to require that many reps in practice or knowing too much of the playbook. To be completely honest, I think it's going to be a role that they feel he can pick up right away and contribute right away in week one. And that gets me excited. Gets me very excited, to be honest. A lot of those design touches, I mean, I feel like there's a negative connotation with design touches, but if they can make the most of those design touches and get those design touches, that's going to mitigate mistakes, specifically when you have a really crappy offensive line, which hopefully the New York Giants won't have. So give me all the design touches in the world, make it a lot easier for Daniel Jones as well. Yeah, without a doubt. And I want to get to my favorite quote of the night. Last night, my favorite quote went over on the podcast was when someone's like, yeah, take Kayvon. We know you can rush the passer, but can you stop the run? The run, the run. That's like that's how I imagine in my head, like an echo after that, because it's such a stupid question. And he's like, "Why don't you watch it?" He's like, "You're gonna have to go watch the tape." Well, tonight, um, I don't know who asked this question. Um, I, there's been some speculation on Twitter and people in my replies who said it was Pat Leonard, and, which seems like the most likely candidate, and obviously seems like the culprit here. But you know, I'm not gonna slander him and say it was him if it wasn't him. So, if anybody knows who it was, let me know. But 
he asked, he, uh, you know, he, whoever this reporter was asked Joe Shane, if you shut the, cause like everybody, it's so stupid. The minute this Wando Robinson pick was made, half these questions were about Kadarius Tony is so dumb. They're just looking for like a headline that they can spin into or, or looking for a quote. They can spin into a headline. That's that quote unquote sells like gets clicks. It's not even impo- like, it's not even important anymore. I don't even know. Like, this is not like your bosses aren't even judging you on your clicks anymore. There's other things going on. Anyway, they said, have you guys shut the door on trying to trade Kadarius Tony? And Joe Shane goes, we're not shopping Kadarius Tony. And I watched the video, which is the best part, because at first I just saw the quote, and then I watched the video, and he looked so exasperated, Joe Shane, when he, when he answered this question. He's like, are we really getting my seven? Am I really getting my 17th Kadarius Tony question of the weekend? Like, how many times do I have to answer this freaking Kadarius Tony question? He goes, we're not shopping Kadarius Tony. And so then he follows it up, the reporter, the same reporter, with, so you're not going to trade him? And Shane just once again just, like, shakes his head, exasperated, goes, Reflect on what I just said. <laughs> that was my... <laughs> We're not shopping Kadarius Tony. You're not going to trade. Just reflect on what I just said. Yeah. Uh, a cornerback. Favorite comment. And you see Dable like give like a little shimmy shake. Like like kind of let la- he didn't want to laugh out loud at the dude right in front of his face, but like he was close. He was definitely close. I'm just gonna say this, Nick, moving forward, reflect on what I just said is one of my favorite quotes that's been said by any giant member of any Giants team or or front office or coach, whatever it may be, over the last maybe five, ten years. And I have a feeling that I'm now going to be looking and finding spots on Twitter. When I make a point on Twitter, you ever make that point on Twitter and then someone responds with something that, that just proves they totally didn't read your thing. They just wanted to say what they had to say and it has nothing to do with what you said. I'm just going to respond by saying, reflect on what I just said. I love it. Do that and then follow it up with a Joe Shane gif and see yeah. if they'll even understand what the heck you're saying. Somebody like, make oh, that gif, please. Shane. Yeah, exactly. Please, somebody who is more talented than Dan and I in terms of yeah. stuff like that, make that gift for us. And when you make the gift, send me that gift because there is a video, and I posted it on my Twitter. You can find the video. He's shaking his head. He's nodding. He's shaking. Then you got the – and you get the, get, Dave, get, get Dave's in there too because he's he's got a nice little shimmy shake just like trying to hold back laughter at, at, at what Jane said. But, but look, it's excellent stuff. All right, Nick, let's move on. Let's go forward. Let's talk about Giants' first of two third-round picks. This one was another surprise. Let's be honest. There were guys that we thought they might take on the offensive line here. Guys like Sean Ryan, guys like, uh, you know, somebody who's actually still on the board right now, who you who you talked about in the pre-draft process, who I thought maybe they would take even here. The Georgia kid, Samar. I never know how to pronounce this dude's name. Samal, uh, how do you pronounce this guy? <laughs> Jamari Sollier. 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 Like, the, he was on the board. I thought they might take him. I thought they might take your boy, Sean Ryan. Thick base, Sean Ryan. I love how Jeremiah is like, this dude has a thick base. And he's like, this guy looks like a guard at the next level. Like, a, like what you thick with multiple Cs. Thick with multiple Cs and a K <laughs> at the end. But look, they end up going with their guy here. And this is a pick I probably like even more than Robinson, despite not knowing much about him. I'll admittedly have not seen any film on this player. I'll watch a little bit now, obviously, but I'm going to take your, we're going to get to your evaluation. And I know even you, you know, you probably haven't watched as much film. I know you watch a lot tonight, but you haven't watched as much film on him as some of the other players that you evaluated the offensive line position. That's fine. We're never going to get to all these guys. But what I like about him is what I've read about him and what you've told me from what you've seen. I think he's a mover. I think he's a mover in space. And I think obviously the versatility is there. And by the way, this is Josh Azudu. The offensive guard slash offensive tackle played a little left tackle, played a little off guard at UNC. 
I think he's a mover in space, and I think he kind of fits exactly where this offense is moving. They get speed everywhere. That means speed on – you want movers. If you're going to be throwing screens out here to Tony and little, you know, end around, jet sweep type stuff, little stuff like, you know, spread type up-tempo run-and-shoot offense, you need offensive linemen who are athletic and can move. And that's kind of my first takeaway. Is he someone who is athletic and can move? Yes, he is deceptively athletic because I believe he was listed at like 325. He went to the combine at 308. I question what he played at, to be honest. But in space and just with his overall footwork, he has quicker feet than I initially thought kind of after I just saw him. I think he is one of those guys when he is in his stance, he has a nice low stance, explodes out of his stance. And when he does explode out with good technique and doesn't pop and rise his pad level, he can be dangerous with not just his grip strength because he has really, really strong hands in that area, but also just his power and his ability to just move bodies off the line of scrimmage. He really has that ability to just churn his legs through contact and move dudes. I think technique wise there's definitely things to work on so he's played over a thousand snaps at left guard and when he was out at tackle I felt like his kick slide and things like that they were a little herky-jerky and not really completely smooth but when you kick him inside that's obviously going to be mitigated I think his hands sometimes they're late sometimes he tongs the timing and the placement aren't always great probably was one reason why he had seven penalties in 2021 but all in all I went into this being like, I don't know much about this guy. And I haven't seen all the film that I want to see, but I've seen two and a half games at this point. I came away liking the pick more than I expected. I still prefer Sean Ryan, but I do think Azudu is a better athlete in space than Sean Ryan. If that's the direction the New York Giants want to go in, then I can't knock it. That's a great point because they have to draft to the scheme. They have to draft to the system. They can't just draft guys who are ranked higher overall when they don't they aren't ranked higher or they aren't better. The rankings mean nothing. They aren't better for your specific system. And one thing I really like about Azudu is that he was a Brandon Thorne favorite. Now, Thorne loved him on day three, but that's because he was projected to go on day three. And he thought he'd go on day three, but that doesn't mean he doesn't like him on day two. I know a lot of people are replying to me, but Brandon Thorne does so much film work on these offensive linemen. And I and, and when he says he loves a player, like he thinks he could be a steal on day three, that's somebody I'm fine with taking on day two and round two because if he fits your system, like I think Azudu will fit the stable system, he could end up being an absolute steal here for the Giants. And one thing I really like about a couple things I really like about him from his athletic profile, Nick, that really stood out to me. 75th percentile wingspan at 82 and one fourth inches makes me believe that maybe he can be in a pinch. Obviously, it's not what you want, but if something happened in game and there was an injury to one of our tackles, and you know, the swing doesn't end up working out with Matt Parrott, and they don't really have a swing or Gano and all these guys they're trying out there. Maybe he can just in a pinch step in for you at tackle. You don't want him there. He's going to be a guard for the Giants. He's most likely going to compete even this year to potentially be a left guard starter at some point. But I like that. And I also loved one thing about his profile. We've talked in the past about this. There's been good studies and analytics that show the one thing that carries over most and predicts the breakouts the most. I think the only breakout it's missed has been Andre Dillard, who obviously had some injuries. And some people believe there's no real and, you know, there's issues. There's concerns. Is there a dog in him? Which you're never going to know with these guys. Like the same issue the Giants are having with Matt Parrott. Is there that dog in him? They don't have that. They're never going to be offensive linemen. But it's hard to know when you're like drafting these guys. It's like, but. One thing that's proven to be really good from a testing standpoint is the 20-yard shuttle. It's been one of the best predictors of NFL future success. 
um, from the call, you know, from the college offensive lineman carrying over. And he did an 81st percentile, 21, uh, 20 yard shuttle. He ran the 20 yard shuttle in 4.5 seconds, uh, 4.56 seconds. Sorry, Nick, 81st percentile. And that to me stood out to me. Yeah. And he's somebody who was asked to pull quite often in North Carolina's rushing offense and the RPOs that they run. And I felt like he had this skip pull that was really, really smooth. And then he also can just pull and then just locate the MN line of scrimmage, kick out. Sometimes I kind of wish he lowered his hat a little bit into the contact was one thing that I had written down in my notes. I also felt like he had a pretty strong tell on tape when he was going to pull. You could see that he wasn't in that low stance. He was a little bit off the line of scrimmage. His pad level was high pre-snap, which was kind of indicating like I'm going to pull it's a little bit of a cheat, a little bit of a tell that I noticed on his film when he was blocking guys who were face up on him. I felt like he dropped his eyes a little bit too much, which kind of led to defenders being able to use a club to evade and go around him. And these are just kind of a little negative points. I haven't finalized my evaluation on him. I still have work to do just kind of putting it out there as we go. But in terms of the athletic ability, and the strength, and when the technique is good, the impact that he had, that was what I really, really loved. Because he has that ability to kick out in a space and to locate, and I felt like he was adequate. To, I was, I felt like he was solid in that area. But when he actually fit his hands inside, and when he was, you know, when the timing and the placement were all on par, and he was able to gain your breastplate, his grip strength was really, really good. And his hands, they're only like nine and a half inches, which is like 17th percentile. They're not huge. They're not Sean Ryan's hands. But I still felt like once he had you, it was very, very hard to disengage. And he kept his feet moving in front of you. And when he kept his pad level down, which was an issue at times, he was really able to just anchor down and was not an issue for him at all. Problem is sometimes he would pop up out of his stance, expose his chest, and that would open up the bull rush. Didn't happen too much on tape. I saw it a couple times, which were was a little problematic. I'll have an in-depth breakdown on this dude at Big Blue View if anybody wants to go and check it out. Dan and I will also be talking about him extensively here in the coming weeks. But I do like this pick more than, than I expected after I heard his name. And I was like, I don't really know much about him. Let's get into his film. And I was like, okay, this guy seems like he's a pretty solid player. Yeah, a couple other things. He was the... 2021 honorable mention for all ACC, the 2020 second team, all ACC, Emery Hunt, who works with us at CBS sports and does some, some uh, draft work for us. Loved him, had him as his fourth overall guard talks about how he's able to shoot his hands with speed and accuracy gives him almost instant control of defensive linemen. Does a really good job keeping his feet busy while engaged plays with enthusiasm and takes pride in his work. Um, and he's really good on the move in the run game. And here's what Brandon Thorne had. Definitely takes pride in his work, dude. Every time there was a touchdown run that was sprung by him, dude was jumping up and down, man. You <laughs> love to see it like a kid. Yeah, you love to see that. That's what you want. So that's a really cool thing, too. And here's what Brandon Thorne had to say about him. For those who don't know, Brandon Thorne, one of the best film evaluators in, in the media game, at least for an offensive line standpoint. He said, he's an under-the-radar day, th day three potential guy I love due to his initial burst and explosiveness, his length, and his independent hand usage, his competitive toughness, and his grip strength, that's what Nick just talked about, to tie up defenders and finish blocks. He's got tackle and guard experience as well. Yes, tackle and guard experience all over the offensive line. And just talk about the football character. Like, I saw him celebrating a bunch of times. That seems trivial. That seems kind of stupid. But I'm sure that that plays somewhat of a factor into this I um, I like the pick. I, I think, I, I mean, I definitely like Sean Ryan more as a prospect, to be honest, but every, and I like Dylan Parham probably more. Both went after him, but I do believe Zach Tom. See, the Zach Tom, I think he's a more fluid athlete in pass protection, but I think this dude, 
Azudu is a much more effective run blocker from everything that I've seen. I think Azudu, if he gets his hands inside you, man, he can really unlock some power and he can move you. And he has a really damn good anchor when everything is clicking. He does not get bullied. He can really unleash power onto people and use his will against them. From that standpoint, as a, as a run blocker, I really think they found a pretty good guy who they can plug in at guard. And when you talk about his athletic ability and his foot speed and all those things that he does possess, you kick him out in the space and he can locate on screens to spring Wandell Robinson or Kadarius Tony. I can envision that. And I feel like he might be more apt to do that than some of those other guys that I prefer just in terms of their overall grade. Like we said, it's all about the scheme. It's all about the scheme. And, you know, the versatility is really interesting there. He actually played guard and tackle on the same drive in one drive, <laughs> which is just wild. He had to play both positions just based on injuries, I guess, or how things went down there. And here's what Joe Shane had to say about the pick, Azudo. He said, he said, so Azudo had a North Carolina player we liked, obviously. He has a history of playing multiple spots in the offensive line. He's got guard tackle flex. Again, we'll bring him in. I'm not sure. I'm not going to say exactly where we're going to start him off. I thought that was interesting. He said, we yeah. like the versatility. He can play guard. He can play tackle. He compete to start probably inside with outside flex. He said, impressive. He's really impressive. He says, it's rare. I was fortunate enough to see him play twice this year. He saw him play live twice. He said, first Virginia Tech and versus Pitt. He said, he's a big man and it's impressive. Again, he can play multiple spots, not only on a week to week basis, but within a game, within drive. So it's very impressive. And he's an outstanding kid. You guys will like to get to know him. Yeah, I've seen the Florida State game. He had some solid tape against Jermaine Johnson and then the Miami game, and I'm working through the Notre Dame game. Get to their second pick on day th or in round three. I'm sorry. Cordell Flott, the corner at LSU again. Remember, we talked about Flott with Eric Crocker. So for those of you who don't know and want to go back, you should. Before the draft about a week ago, we did a podcast breaking down the defensive backs and previewing them with Eric Crocker, former defensive back from the 49ers and the Jets, somebody who really knows ball and watched a ton of film on these rookie defensive backs. And he loved Flot. Flot was one of his favorite sleepers in this entire class. He's one of my favorite sleepers too. I love the length. I love the ability to play inside or outside. I know everybody's like, oh, he can only play slot. I don't think so. I think he can even, he can play on the outside potentially if he puts a little bit on his frame because he has the length and he has the ability. And Nick even mentioned, I think you even mentioned me either off pod or on pod. He might even play safety for the Giants. There might even be a spot for him to play safety too. So he's really versatile from that standpoint. And so I like this pick. I know it's a little early. We thought he'd be a day three guy for the Giants, but that doesn't mean like if, if another team loved him, they were taking him in round three at some point, especially with all those stupid supplemental picks that I've grown to hate. And until the Giants get a few of those picks, which might be next offseason, then I'll go back to loving them. But I'm excited about this pick. I wanted a corner. I like a corner with length that he has. And one final thing before I'll turn it over to you, Nick. I was listening to a podcast like two weeks ago, and it was a Greg Cosell podcast. And it was with somebody who covered LSU down there. And he they were talking through Derek Stingley. The podcast was about Stingley. Then Cassell went on to talk about Damone Clark. Cassell's a huge fan of Damone Clark. Cassell's like loves Damone Clark. And by the way, Damone Clark linebacker at LSU, he's going to miss this whole next season. It's going to be a redshirt year for whoever drafts him. Good. I want the Giants to draft him in round six. I don't care. Give me this year's Trey Smith. And I know Trey Smith played last year, but give me somebody who can actually be an NFL player whenever he gets on the film instead of these random guys who never play that you're most likely going to get on day three. But I'll digress and, and get away from that tangent and say one thing he mentioned on that podcast due to covered LSU is like, don't feed because they were talking Stingley. They were talking about, you know, the big name guys flat. And he's like, don't sleep on Cordell Flott. He's like, Cordell Flott is a dog, and the coaches loved him down there. And he was a big component of that team. And 
I, that got me really amped up about him. It's kind of what put me on his radar originally. And I like his length. And I really think this could end up being a finally one of these third round picks, Nick, that doesn't bust for the Giants. Yeah, he's, I thought it was a little bit of a reach. And he's not even that long, though, dude. I mean, like, he looks longer than he actually is. He, yeah, only has, he just looks long when you watch him. Yeah, he does look longer, but he, he only has 30 and 1 inch arms, which is like 10th percentile. And he's 175 pounds. And the combination of those things do concern me, but he has man coverage upside. He is disciplined at the line of scrimmage. I haven't watched too much of him. I've seen about a game and then just the highlights and some things like that. It's definitely certain that he can carry verticals up the seam. He can run with the number two. He has all the athletic ability. I feel like he had fluid hips, even though there were some times in space where he looked a little bit out of control. And maybe that's because he's a little bit high cut. So his legs are a little bit longer and it just looks a little bit more awkward. I feel like when he clicks and closes and goes downhill, he's pretty explosive. I love his temperament in terms of run support and in terms of tackling. I don't think there's a lot of hit power behind it. And that's product of being 175 pounds, unfortunately. And I also, I wrote this down. I like the spring in his step. I feel like he just, when you watch him move, you can see there's this twitch to Cordell Flott that he possesses. But despite all of that, I still kind of think this was more of a day three guy, specifically when you consider the weight and all of those yeah. other aspects. That's kind of where I land on that. But the Giants need guys who can execute man coverage, and he can. So that's end of round three, day three. What are we really doing here? It's not that big of a deal. Yeah, I think it's fair. And the Giants, in this sense, bought you know bought into two guys who are 178 pounds or few or less in this draft and fought and Robinson. That's risky. You know, this is a big man's game. It's obviously risky, but I think with both of these players, especially flock, cause he's only 20 years old, which is, which is important to, to mention here. He could still be physically underdeveloped and he could still develop more into his body. Cause he does, he is, he does have a six foot one frame. I know the arm length isn't there, as you mentioned, but he is six foot one. He's lengthy from just the height standpoint. And if you're six foot one, you can get to 200. You, by the time you're 23 years old, 24, 25 years old, you might have a chance to put on 15, 20 pounds of muscle, to be completely honest. You might just not be fully grown into your body. So I feel like that, to me, is worth something. He's long-legged, too, man. Like I said, he's high-cut in his. And I also want to preface this. I still have a lot of work to do on fly, and I'll have a breakdown of on Big Blue View, and we'll also talk about him more as I get through more and more film of him. So this isn't my overall evaluation. These are just tidbits that I picked away just from the little bit that I have seen of him. And there are some other things that I've seen of him that I loved. It. There are plays that he's made where he has crashed the catch point disruptively, violently, forcing PBUs or making these really big tackles, and then he has that chip on his shoulder that you want your defensive back to have. He's kind of standing over, not too flashy. Like hopefully he doesn't get flagged, but he definitely has that, you know, I'm going to let you know, and I'm going to chirp in your ear type of mentality that you want every defensive back to have. Yeah. And I think he's just a better athlete than people realize. You mentioned a little bit kind of with that, like, you know, the spunk in his step and that ability to kind of bounce. I feel like, he has the athleticism that stands out to me when I watch him and just from what I've heard about him. And I know he hasn't played much outside, but again, I feel like the projection could be there. He played a little bit outside at the end of 2021. It was the final five games of LSU season. He allowed just three catches on eight targets for 40 yards, which is pretty good stuff right there. Um, obviously, he's going to need to put on weight, like you said. And, you know, this is the second guy they drafted now out of these first four or first five picks. The second guy they drafted with short arms and small hands. That's not exactly great for the projection standpoint. But again, they're looking for outliers and they're, and they're basing their stuff on the film. 
Yeah, definitely. And I got to say, man, you work through the Auburn game. I haven't watched all of it yet, but there was this play too in the second quarter where he was outside leverage over the number two receiver in the slot. And he just softly backpedals, disciplined. He's not in a press alignment. He's about five to six yards off of the off of the line of scrimmage. And he reacts to this wide receiver's quick slant so well, closes with, gets to the near hip, and then plays through the catch point to force a PBU there. And that's kind of like reminded me a little bit of Roger McCreary, to be honest with you, and how Roger McCreary, who also played for Auburn, reacts on those quick slants. He has that just ability to, to read the receiver and know what he's about to do and then react instantaneously. So LSU trusted him in a lot of different alignments. Sometimes they did drop in the safety, and you brought up the safety before. I don't think he's going to be able to be the safety and then fill the alley. He doesn't have that kind of run right. support, in my opinion. But I think you can use him as an, an apex or an overhang defender and then drop him into a, a deep half like Patrick Graham used to do with the inverted cover twos. I think he has the the range and the athletic ability to to execute those assignments i don't think that he's just going to be a full-time safety though that's that's not something that i believe and i think we should bring up though dan before we get out of here his matchup with wandell robinson yeah well i want to talk a little bit about that but i first want to say this something i think is interesting about him is he has that like confident mentality i think is super important in cornerbacks and there's even sometimes i watch him on tape get up and kind of be like let the receiver know he was there he made the play on the ball and like he's he's the guy like like give him that incomplete wave just like you know i'm that dude and for me, when I look at his profile, like the concerns are the muscle mass, mostly the, the the arm length and those kind of requirements and the lack of experience, you know, as far as outside corner goes and just not never really being a starter there at LSU. Those are all things I think can be worked out at the next level. It's obviously going to depend on if he can grow into his frame as he grows older. He's only 20 years old, but I don't know necessarily. Like I've seen a lot of corners that the Giants draft or another team drafts that have actual issues like and coverage and just, you know, things that are never going to translate and not necessarily things that I think can be fixed at the next level. And I'm not so sure I feel that way with Flot. I feel like he's a player who has a path toward becoming a starter for the Giants. Yeah, I mean, I think so, too. It's going to come down to him or Darnay Holmes. Darnay Holmes isn't this regime's guy, which is something that you have to consider. Him and number five on Auburn were going back and forth this entire game, by the way, with what you were just talking about, the chirping and getting in each other's yeah. ears. And every time one of them made the play, they, they let the other one know about it. And, and you love that kind of mentality, man. Yeah, he's a developmental prospect, I think, for sure. I don't think he – we talked about, you know, Robinson, they're going to have a plan for him right away. I would not be surprised if, if Flott doesn't play many snaps at all this season. I think he's going to take some time. I think he needs to – I don't think his, he has an NFL body right now, to be completely honest. I think he's not and, big enough to play at the NFL level. And that's, like, something that concerns me about okay. – not to be overly negative – but Nicobe Dean, I understand why you might have removed him from the board because of the medicals. I can't really weigh in. I'm not a doctor. He goes two picks later. You have D'Angelo Malone go, Western Kentucky, interesting edge rusher. But you got Kayvon Thibodeau. But some of the names that went at the back end of the third round, man, yeah. they're very, very, they're very interesting names that I would have loved to see be New York Giants. The Nick Crosses, safety from Maryland, Kirby, Kirby Joseph, Joseph, Illinois safety. And then obviously Jeremy Rucker, an Ohio State tight end. But we talked about that a little bit earlier. Then you got Chanel. Yeah, Channing Tindall from Georgia, Leo Chanel from Wisconsin, yeah. and I'm just like, ah, that's a little guys that can help them this year, but they're not thinking about it like that. They're really not focused on this year, I don't think. Under Joe Shane, that's the biggest. It's one of the biggest takeaways I have about this draft with Joe Shane versus the Dave Gettleman years. Dave Gettleman was a see him get him drafter, and Dave Gettleman wanted to fill needs, and he wanted to fill them now. He wanted players that he believed could help the Giants right away, right now. I think Joe Shane's trying to. To, to draft players that he thinks can help the Giants for the next five years and not with a focus on right now. And 
obviously Robinson, I think will help them early on, but I don't think that these, these past two picks we talked about are with the focus on them was helping them right away. Even Shane said it with the guard. He's like, he may not play right away. And I don't think he's going to start this year. And I don't think Flott's going to play that much this year. And so I think the focus is a little bit different for this regime. Yeah, it's a little bit more future oriented, and they have the the leash to do that though, right. too. I mean, this is going to be. And we said that with Joe Judge, but I that did not necessarily happen. But I do believe this is going to be more of a, a long term type of thing, and I feel like they the steps have been taken right now. Excellent day one, day two with some more developmental, high upside type of players who fit what the coaching staff wants, and now we have day three coming, and there's still plenty of guys that I really like on the board. Yeah, and just to just to say something about that, I think ultimately, you know, that may be the right way to play this thing. Because if you're just drafting guys you can help you right now, this is I see a fit for him right now. Well, sometimes you're not drafting the best prospect because these developmental guys sometimes end up being the best prospect. They may be dinged like flop because he's not big enough right now. But if he just adds that size and he's only 20 years old, so he could he could realistically add that size, then maybe he's somebody who can help you long-term more than the guy who's supposedly supposed to help you right away never ends up doing it and ends up busting like the like some of the guys they've drafted in the past like no offense but some of these guys have just not hit in secondary like not ready to bury darnay Holmes, but right now it's not looking great for him and it wasn't good for brett uh not very um the valentine the kid Corey valentine who they like so you know i don't know we'll see and another thing, too, and we talked about this a little bit earlier, it's a temperament thing. Cordell Flott, and you could tell when you watch his film, he has the temperament. Now, I didn't listen to that podcast that you said that you listened to, but they said they raved about his temperament, right? They yeah, raved about, exactly. about about the player. I think that's a big reason why. And, he, and when you watch the film, at least a little bit of film that I have seen, you see the man coverage skills, and you can see why they would like this type of player. This is somebody that they brought in for a top 30 visit. And I remember when they brought him in, I was like, I don't really know anything about Cordell Flott. And I've watched a lot of LSU so I really probably should get get to his film, and I've yet to really do my due diligence with that, but we'll be coming with it very shortly. Yeah, for sure. I want to get to some one quote from Joe Shane on Flott. He says, I think position one, ideally he's inside, but he can play inside and outside. He has height. He has length. And again, the kid is just 20 years old. I believe he turns 21 in August or September. He said he's still so young. He's still developing. Right. He is a developmental pick. Joe Shane even said it. He's still developing. He was a three year guy at LSU. He played in a really talented secondary there and a good conference. He says, We're really excited. He's really got good movement skills to play inside. But with the size and length, he can play outside as well. So thought that was interesting. One other thing by Shane on Aaron Robinson, I thought was interesting. We're excited about him. You know, that was interesting. Uh, I guess admission that that Shane made about Robinson, a player who we've speculated on. Nick, we're excited about Aaron Robinson in year two, but there hasn't been much buzz about him. And Shane said, "We're excited about him. I'm just getting to know him, going to see him, and I'm getting to see him around the last couple of weeks." But that group, the coaching staff, that's back. We're excited about him. I'm not going to make any predictions or anything in terms of playing time or anything like that. Still got a long way to go, but he's definitely going to be competing for a starting job. So I thought that was interesting on Robinson as well. Yeah, and you love to hear it. And honestly, I felt like Aaron Robinson – last year was disgusting, but I felt like Aaron Robinson was one of those, you know, if you if you had to find slivers of hope that the future could possibly not be an absolute hellscape, Aaron Robinson was one of the players that flashed, along with Aziz Ojalar. And I was thinking about this too, man. Like, we, we went through, like, the building block players on the Giants roster. You know, Andrew Thomas, Aaron Robinson, Aziz Ojolari, Xavier McKinney. And we we're kind of going through them and, and you kind of stop. You're like, oh, yeah, Kadarius, Tony. And then you're like, well, Saquon Barkley, no, maybe not. Daniel Jones, maybe not. Just after day one, you automatically add just two more to that list. And it's like, boom, yeah. boom. Like, you know what I mean? Like, definite 
no doubt about it type of players in Kayvon Thibodeau and Evan Neal. And I thought about that this morning and I was like, that's going to make me smile. And it did. It did, Dan. Yeah, we have building. That's a great point. We have blue chip building blocks. It's part of the reason why me and you didn't want to trade back from that pick at seven. And with how the board fell, at least. I mean, if the options were like Jermaine Johnson or nothing, then we would have traded back. But it wasn't that. They got Thibodeau and Neal, and it's still super exciting. I'm still on cloud nine about that. But one more thing I want to talk about here before we throw out a few names. And again, it's 3.30 a.m. right now. So I'm sure by the time people listen to this date, three will be rolling and these names that we're about to put out there maybe maybe old news but we got some guys that i got our eye on for for day three and the giants have two picks almost right away within 10 picks or 12 picks tomorrow so before we get there i want to say this cordell flott mentioned this was interesting he said the toughest receiver he had to defend against last year in the slot obviously playing in the sec was wandale robinson and he didn't say that because the giants drafted robinson he said he's quick He's elite. He's one of those guys in the slot you're not really going to be able to get your hands on right away. You've got to be able to create speed on the top of the route, and he's a good receiver. That's exactly, I read to me like exactly, when he talks about he's not one of those guys you're going to be able to get your hands on right away, that goes exactly to what Shane and Dable were discussing with generators who can win horizontally and are hard to are not only great after the catch, but hard to defend from a route running standpoint because you can't get your hands on them and they can create separation from the route running. Yeah, Wanda Robinson, watch that tape. And I, that's one that I have perused through him versus Flot because I was really interested. And I put a clip on Twitter where Flot gives up a touchdown to Wanda Robinson, but Flot was an outside leverage and it was a number two receiver over route where there was a safety that Flot was influencing Wanda Robinson towards and Flando Robinson ran behind the safety he got away from him and Levis put it in a catchable spot and Robinson made a diving highlight real catch for a touchdown and there were other plays where I felt like Flott got the best of Robinson or at least held his own against Robinson there was a number two vertical route where Flott carried it the entire way and helped disrupt the pass I felt like it was a good back and forth but you could just see the explosive nature of Robinson and how he was giving Flott a lot that he could handle so I'm excited about that. I, I really am. I think that's an interesting game to watch. It's on YouTube if anybody wants to go check it out. Yeah, without a doubt. And one final thing on on this flat pick. They asked him about playing more man coverage, which is what Wink Martindale's scheme is going to be with the Giants. And Flott said, look, I'm very comfortable within that scheme. Coming LSU, that's one of the main things we're known for. And it's one of the things that you're gonna that you know you're gonna have to do when you first commit to LSU to come and play defensive back there. He says, I'm very comfortable in man coverage, so I'm excited. Yeah, and you can see that in his film. They used him a lot in that area. And obviously he comes from the same program that Derek Stingley Jr. was just at. So I mean, I think yeah. developmental pick, but has upside. And speaking of developmental picks, Dan, there are quite a few developmental picks who are still around, a lot of them at cornerback. Yeah, so let's wrap it up there by giving some guys that we like for the Giants to target in day day uh, on day three at the beginning and the top of the fourth round. We're not going to speculate too much further than that. And obviously, a lot of these day two picks we predicted didn't go there. Didn't <laughs> no one really? We didn't really predict any of these. Wondell Robinson. We got them all wrong, I guess I would say. But we're still going to do. We're still going to have some fun and name some guys that we want for tomorrow. So go ahead, give me some guys that you got your eye on. I'm sure we'll have some of the same. Yeah, well, I'm looking at the running back position with Damian Pierce and Zamir White, who are both still around at the moment. I mean, you have Isaiah Spiller. I don't know if it's going to be their type of running back. I think you could still wait for the Pierre Strongs of the world. I know you're a big Ty Chandler fan. I just got done watching a lot of UNC film, and Ty Chandler does pop. You were right. How good was he on that rep that you put up? Uh, yeah, thank you for yeah. saying that. How good was he on that rep that you put up on Twitter? 
Oh, he was phenomenal, dude. Showed a ton of contact balance and just the ability to get really skinny through tight crevices. And it was also a good block by Zudu, just picking yeah. up the backside linebacker, kind really of slowing the undercut play. Yeah, just excellent feel of a combo. Um, didn't really even need to climb, but just the awareness to see that backside pursuit defender kind of coming to undercut the run. But I'm also, bro, I'm a little curious. I wanted to get your opinion on this. There are three cornerbacks that are available right now. One I've watched a lot of. The other one I've watched some of. The other I haven't, but he's just an athletic freak, and he's gigantic. Would you be pissed if they use one of the picks on either Tariq Wollin from UTSA, Zion McCollum from Sam Houston State, or Jalen Ormore Davis from Alabama, who's the one that I have watched, who has run a lot of press man down there at Alabama, needs to get better at the catch point for sure, tracking, locating the football. I think all that's correctable. But at this area of the draft, I think he's somebody who could step in and, and play significant snaps for them if they need him to. No, I wouldn't be opposed to it at all. They need corners. They're not done. They, they're nowhere near close to done in the secondary right now. Like you mentioned, outside of Adoree Jackson, we assume they might cut Bradbury. Then there's Aaron Robinson and Cordell Flott there. And there's what, Julian Love and Jared Williams and, and, and in addition to McKinney and safety. They need defensive backs still badly. So, no, I'm, I would not be opposed to it. They have that, and then I look at the linebacker position, and then somebody who used to be a safety is kind of an outside linebacker, was also a slot defender who can wear a lot of hats is Nebraska's Jojo Doman, who was still sitting there as well. I think that's an interesting player that that kind of catches my eye. You go over the the linebackers, man. It's not all that sexy. Darian Beavers is the New England prototype linebacker of being like 260 pounds, kind of like a defensive tackle, but he plays linebacker. And he's a very interesting name. I don't know if the Giants will go in that direction, but I wouldn't hate it if they did. Brandon Smith is still around the Penn State super athletic linebacker. He's not all that physical, but at this area of the draft, I'm much more open to it than when he was being discussed as a first round pick, which was absolutely ridiculous. And then DeMarco Jackson from App State is another player that I like probably a little bit later in the draft, but I still think they got to find an inside linebacker and a safety too. I'm a little intrigued by Malcolm Rodriguez, but I kind of feel like he's undersized. I think the Giants just missed the boat on linebacker and safety in this draft. It's okay. They weren't going to hit everything, but I think they missed the boat with cross off the board and Kirby Joseph off the board. Now I don't really see much. I love at safety, especially like cook as a player. I thought might make it all the way to day three out of since you, I like, but he didn't even come close to making it. So I think they missed the boat at safety. And a linebacker, I think, with Tyndall and Chanel off the board and Muma and Anderson, I think they missed the boat there, too. So I'm just not that interested. I don't have many guys I'm looking at at safety or inside backer. I wanted them before the draft. It was a good class. There was a nice cluster of them. They missed the boat on them. So I got my eyes on other positions right now. I Like I said before the draft, Damone Clark, they take him at any point, the linebacker at LSU. That's the one guy at backer that I'm still in, really interested in taking. I'd rather take these type of guys in round five, round six, than right away in round four. But same thing goes for Justin Ross, the Clemson receiver. I'm willing to take that chance in round five. But as far as guys in round four that I'm looking at with these first two picks right away on day three, Damian Pierce, the running back out of Florida, man, 39 forced missed tackles on 100 attempts. I really like this kid, and I think he can be really good at the next level. So I got my eye on him. James Mitchell, somebody we didn't talk about a lot, the tight end out of Virginia Tech, Nick. If it wasn't for the injury, I think he might have been at like picked like before Ruckard and kind of in that Dolchich range. And he's somebody I'd take a chance on too. Jake Ferguson, the tight end of Wisconsin, I got my eye on. Charlie Kohler, the tight end we both like a lot at Iowa State, I got my eye on. Both the running backs you mentioned, or where you mentioned Pierce and White. I'll put Ty Chandler in there. Tyreek Woolen, you mentioned him. Definitely interested in him as well. Um, and yeah, that's that's pretty much where I'm at. I have a couple linemen on there, but I think the Giants might be kind of done drafting linemen in this class. They might be. There's a lot of linemen that I still like 
I mean, they have more developmental guys and, and, and strange dudes like Daniel Filele, which would be ridiculous. I don't think they'd oh, Wow, he fell so far, didn't yeah. he? Darian Kennard is still around. And then Jamari Sawyer, Zach Tom, Marcus Hayes, guys that we've discussed throughout just the entirety of the pre-draft process who are still here. But you're right. They may not go in that direction. Another name that I feel like is interesting is Perry and Winfrey, the Oklahoma defensive yeah. tackle. Played a lot of nose. Might have been a little bit misused in Oklahoma's defense. But if you align him as like a four-eye with the 35, 36-inch arm length that he has and the solid first step that he possesses, at this area of the draft, I feel like that's good value. And I don't think you brought up Cade Otten, the tight end from Washington. He was in right. for a top 30 vis- visit. I think that's another player that the Giants may have interest in. And Auden has some blocking upside, too, for them early on. So that's something to keep an eye on as well. Definitely someone interested. All right, Nick, anything else before we wrap this up? Nah, man, I think you need to get some sleep, and I'm probably not going to Yeah, I do bed. need to get some sleep. It's 3.30 a.m. here on the East Coast. Dude, I didn't go to sleep until 7 o'clock in the morning East Coast time. Wow. So, like, Yeah, and I, I had a quick turnaround tomorrow morning, so we're going to uh, we're gonna have to do, do well by this. Yeah, you got 9 a.m. tomorrow. That's the worst thing about being on the West Coast. Your day three of the draft starts at 9 a.m. Yeah, it's abysmal, man. Not, <laughs> not looking forward to it. Oh, abysmal. I forgot. You had said that. I, I used to hear that word all the time, abysmal. That's a, that's a Nick Flato special, abysmal. You love that word. It's a good word. It's a good word. It's a great word. It's a great word. All right, everybody. Thanks so much for tuning into the Big Blue Banter podcast. We'll talk to you soon after day three of the draft. A little recap of the Giants. But thanks so much for tuning in. Have a great rest of your day. Go Giants. Did you know a 2018 study showed half of prenatal vitamins tested had unacceptable levels of heavy metals? I'm Kat, mother of three and founder of Ritual. When I was four months pregnant, I couldn't find a prenatal I could trust, so I created my own. Ours is made traceable, third-party tested for heavy metals, and recently earned the Purity Award from the Clean Label Project. But don't just take my word for it. Get 25% off at ritual.com podcast.